welcome to Singing the Blues. I'm Don Housen. And I'm James Marriott. Bit of a special episode for us this week. A bit later on, we're going to be focusing on a really important subject right now, and that is mental health. Um, we have a guest with us as well this week, um, Dominic Stevenson. So Dominic, you are a Wednesday fan. Um, also importantly for us today on this podcast, you are also an author. Uh, yes, I'm an author of the book Get Your Head in the Game. It sort of chronicles my life as a Sheffield Wednesday fan and it tells the stories of uh, footballers, managers, coaches, physios, doctors, fans and, and people who work in football. Brilliant. We're going to chat more about your book later on. We're also later as well going to chat to Jersey from Sheffield Flourish, which is an amazing charity here in Sheffield, which focuses on um, mental health. Um, naturally, we're going to chat about the virtual match day that we want everyone to get involved in as well a bit later on. Now, when we penciled in this episode a few weeks ago, we thought, you know, international break, nice and quiet, not going to be a lot for us to talk about. So we can really focus on this subject. But of course, Sheffield Wednesday being Sheffield Wednesday, have to go and appoint a new manager. Um, Dom, we talked a little bit last week about the prospect of Tony Pulis. And I think it's fair to say that you weren't exactly thrilled. It is now reality. Um, of course, you had a little bit of, a, of an audience with him since he's been um, appointed and a chance to chat with him. Now, it seems to me that what Tony Pulley said in, in his um, presser the other day kind of struck a bit of a chord with quite a lot of fans. Um, and some people that were being a bit negative are being a little bit more open or even, dare I say, positive about it. So where, whereabouts are you on this spectrum at the moment? Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, I'm the same. Uh, I, I uh, am feeling more optimistic uh, about things. And I think that that was a very good sort of introductory press conference from Tony Pulis. And it was probably everything that we really should expect from a seasoned campaigner who's been a manager for the best part of 30 years, uh, managed, yeah, this is his 10th team, I think it is now. So he is... So experienced, he's been there, he's got the T-shirt, um, and he said, and he made all the right noises and he said all the right things, you know, I think especially uh, saying that you want to address the um, the power shift in the city um, and having a little dig at the red side of the city uh, will always win you, uh, you know, some uh, plaudits um, with Wednesday nights, that's for sure, um, and saying that he wants to knock them off the perch. Uh, so I think that and... Um, reinstating Kieran Westwood uh, and making a few other, um, I would say, positive noises. Um, yeah, all in all, I, I, I've, it's one of them where, yeah, things right now, nearly a week on from the appointment, as we record this, uh, yeah, I think people are feeling um, like we've got to give him a chance and let's see what he can do. Uh, but, of yeah. course, this could change very quickly if we're sat here in a week's time and they've lost back-to-back away games. Yeah, yeah, the proof will be very much in the in the pudding. But I want to take you back slightly to, um, I mean, it feels like about five managers ago now, but when Steve Bruce was in charge at Wednesday, when we first started doing this podcast, it was when Steve Bruce was, was in charge. And one of the things that we talked about a few times was because Steve Bruce is quite experienced and he sort of knows 
how to deal with situations. And he had that sort of calming effect, which just sort of it just calmed people down a bit. Steve Bruce being in charge and just kind of being able to say, you don't need to worry about that. I've got that sorted. And this this ability that we had to sort of trust him. Um, the, the feeling I'm getting from Tony Pulis is a similar sort of feel to that. Like, you know, he's been there. He's got the T-shirt. He's got the baseball cap. You know, this is a guy that that really knows what he's doing in terms of um, managing a football team and how to manage expectation of a of a fan base. Are, are you getting that sort of vibe as well? A feeling of yeah, that Steve Bruce factor of just having a bit of a calming effect. I think yeah, there is definitely uh, that similarity there when you look at with uh, you know comparing Steve Bruce and, and Tony Pulis and that they've both been in management a long time. And I actually think that something that maybe we haven't talked enough about either, and this is going to uh, kick into effect particularly in January and next summer and in the next few windows, is uh, the contacts that Tony Pulis has got uh, too from in the game. So I think that um, there's every chance that he is going to make some very astute signings uh, in, with what budget Wednesday they've got to, to play with uh, in January. Uh, and um, I think it's going to be interesting, really, isn't it, to see you know, how he moulds this team and gets them to playing uh, in the, the way that he wants to play. And um, we know that he's sort of pigeonholed isn't he with the um, the direct long ball merchant and all that and um, he he's going to try and maximise the resources he's got I think to the best of his ability and he's not helped by the injuries that Wednesday have but yeah I think that there's um, it's going to be one of those where he's going to try and find a way of playing that suits this group of players yeah absolutely um, so last week I was you know kind of cautiously positive about the idea of Tony Pulis, thinking about it as a short-term kind of fix. And I guess the jury's out a little bit on that. We don't really know. He made a point of not wanting to talk about contract length. Dom, you were less positive, but seemed to be kind of won over a little bit. So um, Dominic, whereabouts do you stand? I guess on just about everything at the moment. So do you think it was the right time for Gary Monk to go? And how are you feeling about Tony Pulis coming in? I mean, I'm sort of, keen on having a Tony Pulis type character because I think from Carlos to Joss to Monk we've had the sort of managers that teams aspire to have so that something a bit different something hungry about them but it's not worked and I think for years and years we've sort of craved that stability that a Bruce or a Pulis can bring and so although I was very much in the Cowley or Cook camp of things because I think that sort of young, di- younger dynamic manager could really add something. I also think that this season is too too big, that that we've got too much to lose, that if we go down, then I don't think we'd bounce back straight away because I think we'd lose the best players, we'd have to get a new manager who would bring in new players, and I just think it'd be too, too big a challenge. And I think something that Wednesday had done for years is underestimate the opposition. And I think that's been proven this year with losses to Rotherham and Wickham that we've underestimated them. Like I, I was as guilty as anyone in saying that that's six points in the bag. And I was sort of looking at the table thinking, where could we be if the appeal went through? Um, yes, I mean, 
although I'm not inspired, I've gotten the bandwagon. I know you can't see it at home, but I've got a baseball cap on in, in celebration of Pulis. So, yeah, and I'm kind of just hoping he brings in, uh, hopes he brings in uh, Crouchy to make his comeback. <laughs> we take it he has made a point of uh of talking about how few strikers he thinks there is in uh in this squad which is quite interesting um on its own um i think it was a sorry. really key word in, in, in what say, you said god sorry james to put in uh, on a serious point uh he i actually do think he would love nothing more uh, than to have an Atty Nuyu right at his disposal right now. To- Atty Nuyu would be tailor-made, you would have thought, for the way that um, Tony Pewis would like to go about his business, uh, or Stephen Fletcher right now. Um, and-, and I'm sure that he will watch on very enviously in a few games' time when Wednesday come up against Stoke and with the form that Fletcher's in. This is, of course, unless he gets injured between now and then. But yeah, uh, it, it's funny that Dominic makes a point about Crouchy. But yeah, it, it did get me thinking earlier on in this week that, especially in light of what he said, which I think you were about to come on to, James, regarding Callum Patterson not necessarily being a striker, that did surprise me. I must admit, of all the comments, is that he was suggesting there's going to be a positional change for Patterson when really I look at Wednesday's front line as things stand. I would have said he's your best bet if you were looking for a physical presence up front or a guy who maybe could be a bit of a focal point. I would have said that that was Patterson. And so if you're going to move Patterson back to defence or midfield or in another position into the team, it's how Wednesday sort of cobble through to get to January before they can do anything about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, Callum Patterson to me... Uh, kind of feels like the sort of player that Tony Pulis might like to play up front. You know, he's kind of physical and, you know, he's a, he's a fairly big lad, isn't he? He's, but he's not the tallest guy in the world, but, you know, he's got a physical presence there. So that, you know, it's kind of, it kind of surprised me that he was so willing to offer up that analysis of Wednesday's forward line as well, because that, you know, that's quite a, considering he'd only been through the door for a couple of days to kind of say, Patterson's not a striker. Kachunga's not a striker. I've only really got two strikers. You got the impression he sort of wanted to say, actually, I don't really think that Windass is a striker either, but this is what I've got. So I'm going to have to play him as a, as a striker. Um, th- the other factor that starts to come into play a little bit now, and this is very groundhog day because how many times have we had this conversation is, is, is Jordan Rhodes and, and what role he's got to play now because you look at Tony Pulis as being, you know, kind of quite traditional, kind of quite straightforward in the way that he likes his teams to play football. Jordan Rhodes is a goal scorer. And if you, if you play to a certain formation, traditionally he has scored goals. Now, you know, whether or not he's just, he's gone as a player and he's never going to realise that again, I guess is a, 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 a conversation, but let's imagine that, you know, he's not. And, you know, Tony Pulis may be kind of licking his lips a little bit, uh, uh, thinking what he can kind of get out on uh, of of Jordan Rhodes. Where do you stand on this, Dominic? Do you reckon we could see a rejuvenated Jordan Rhodes banging them in the championship? Or do you think that that, that story is over? I mean, I, I felt sorry for Rowe. I mean, except for the not taking the penalty in the playoff semi-final. I've never forgiven him for that. But I've I've always felt sorry for him because I don't think we should have bought him. We did it because 
of fan pressure, I believe, and trying to encourage the spending of money. And obviously, he came with a big reputation. But Carlos, Joss, Monk haven't played, as as was said, haven't played in a way that suits him. And I think it's obviously debilitating for him. And as as people on, on Twitter have been saying since Pulis um, joined, is that he can't, again, give him two 20-minute substitute appearances and then... So shove him to one side. He's got to have five, six games, even if he doesn't score, of just being there because Pulis plays with wingers, he plays a long ball, and if you give it to Rhodes inside the box, he's, he's going to score. But we've just not done that for sort of three, four managers in a row. It's going to be quite interesting, isn't it, Dom, come, come Saturday and, you know, first Tony Pulis team selection but also in terms of the setup and how he's gonna play I, I in my mind think of Tony Pulis being quite straightforward you know he is a 4-4-2 manager and you know he plays a formation that everyone understands that isn't too complicated and it's pretty direct he asks his defenders to defend he asks his attackers to attack and his midfielders to do everything in between and that's kind of it what what, what do you reckon do you, do you think there'll be any major surprises on on Saturday yeah, I think there will be. Um, for start, I think there's a, a very strong chance that there's going to be a change in formation and that I think they go to a back four. I can really see that. That might be a little bit forced upon them uh, in that Tony Pewis didn't divulge the players that have picked up injuries and joined their injured list, but there has been a bit of speculation that it, it could be Dominic Iorf, uh um, Jack Marriott and so especially if it's I offer that would be a huge blow wouldn't it to Wednesday you know we saw what they were like without him for a few matches earlier this season um, and so we're hoping that that's not the case uh, but then yeah it's centre half isn't it of where you've got Shay Dunkley who is back out there and he's running again but he's still not going to be involved Aidan Flint you can forget about until next year so you're left with Tom Lees, Julian Berner, Joe Van Aken, uh, and it will be a case of does Tony Pulis think that the three-man defence, and that's what Wednesday played now since the restart back in June, it's brought four wins from about 18 matches. Doesn't really suggest it's been working, does it? Great, certainly not results-wise even though I think some of the performances have merited more points. So, uh, yeah, I, I have a feeling that it could be a back four. Uh, and then it's he likes to play with wingers. He has done in the past. And uh, if you look at Middlesbrough, when they got to the playoff semi-finals, Traore, he got the best out of him. It was really Pewis who started to turn Traore's career around. And now look at him flying at Wolves. Now, I, don't think Wednesday have got a special talent quite in the same class as Traore. But then could could Pulis be the man to get more out of an Adam Reach, as an example? Just, um, just thinking know, that. You know, that. That's really, I think, yeah, and he's limited too in that Harris, Kadeem Harris is still banned, isn't he, for another t- couple of matches. Wednesday no, don't have you. many, they don't have many natural wingers, really, in the squad. Uh, and this is where we're bemoaning still that inability to replace Jacob Murphy. 
you know, I think that was the one piece of business that Wednesday could have really done with, if not getting him back, getting someone else in instead of him. So I think it's a, it's a real tough one. Uh, and it's the same with at fullbacks. You know, if you go over back four, one of my big questions or concerns would be who's playing left back? There aren't many, there's no natural left back really. You're talking Matt Penny, who is still at this level inexperienced. Uh, and I don't see Tony Pulis when Wednesday in a relegation dogfight going down the route of giving loads and loads of opportunities to youth. I could be wrong, but I just don't see it. Uh, and so you're talking then about Liam Palmer or Moses Odebajo maybe filling in at, at left back. He's got all these sort of decisions to weigh up. So yeah, I don't. I think it's, he's gonna he's gonna realise I think very quickly in the next few weeks as Tony Pulis that he's at, he's 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 taken on an enormous job. I mean, the good thing is we've got, we have got a transfer window not far away. Like you know, January is not that far away now. I'm I'm assuming I haven't checked this. I'm assuming the January transfer window runs as normal because the summer transfer window was was later. Is that is that yeah? Right? No, that's right. The problem is though, James, that we get to January and that's that's half a season gone. We've got twelve matches between now and January the second, so the schedule Crikey. is relentless, and that's why. The squad depth, everything is going to be really tested. Uh, and so, Wednesday can ill afford to pick up many more injuries. I, you know, what we have to say on the flip side is that the good news is that look, Massimo Luongo, he's back. Izzy Brown should be very close or ready to start in games again. So, immediately midfield is going to look a lot stronger. But yeah, will he go over 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1? Um, he's got to find goals, hasn't he? It's what we've been saying for weeks. Uh, that's you know, what's going to determine Wednesday getting out of the trouble they're in now. And there's six goals in 11 matches so far. That record's got to improve and improve quickly. Yeah. I guess the the one other thing that we've sort of touched on a, a, a little bit is the potential return of Kieran Westwood and um, uh, Tony Pierce didn't really waste any time in terms of making it quite clear that, you know, he sees Westwood as being um, one of the best goalkeepers in the, in the league. And then there's been this thing about whether or not they're getting registered. And I think it looks like he, he he is, so could well be involved on Saturday. So, you know, that that's going to be quite interesting and probably a scenario that we thought would never come round. We'd sort of put that one, to bed and and you know here we you know we find ourselves with you know another experienced manager that's coming in and wants to bring in his most experienced goalkeeper so um that'll be um that'll be interesting well, as well Dominic, so. where do you stand on the westwood debate i mean I, I again feel feel sorry for westwood i think it's something that i've long said about gary monk's management is that i felt that he spent so long at swansea he ended up as manager he was the captain, he was the top dog at the club. And I think everywhere he's been, he's tried to recreate that sort of top dog element. So if you look at the players that he ostracised, your Westwoods, your Hutchinsons, they're very, very experienced players. And I think he just wanted to be the sort of biggest voice in the dressing room. Um, as a goalkeeper, I think obviously he's an exceptional goalkeeper. I feel for Dawson and Wildsmith because... I think over the last few years, as managers have sort of brought in and taken out Westwood, 
they've been put in some really difficult situations. Um, and I think for two young lads, because in goalkeeping terms, they're sort of 24-25, there's not many goalkeepers who make it sort of a steady run into first team at that age. I think they've equipped themselves well, I feel for them, but I can see if Westwood comes back, one of them will go the same way as Richard O'Donnell and sort of League One, League Two, drift about, but still have a, a decent career. On a broader point, I think what needs to happen, I don't know what you think, James, it sounds to me as if Tony Pewis has made his mind up and that Kevin Westwood is going to be his number one. We don't know what sort of physical shape Westwood's going to be in. You can't forget he's not played a competitive match in a year. But I I do think he's going to throw him in on Saturday at Preston. Uh, But I think on a broader point, assuming that Westwood does well between now and the end of the year going into January, I think it leaves Wednesday at that sort of stage where they've got to loan out one of Dawson or Wildsmith. And I would suggest it probably has to be Dawson um, based on Dawson's last appearance being the horror show at Rotherham uh, and Wildsmith coming in in three matches. He kept two clean sheets. He wasn't overly worked, to be fair. So again, I don't feel like we really learned a lot from the last few matches that Wildsmith played. But I don't think that Wednesday can afford to stick with three goalkeepers. Um, g- going into January so I would have thought there would have to be some movement in that department it's another subject that we have said and we talked about this again like quite a few times over the last few years and nothing's happened and instead Dawson got a new contract four and a half years back in January Wildsmith still got another few years Um I said it's somebody else. I mean, the, the other thing I would say is that I think we have to stop with the. And I hear Dominic's point there about the keepers, and I, I get it that I think they have generally acquitted themselves well. I think we have to stop with the narrative though of their two young goalkeepers because they're not. They're both the twenty-four and the twenty-five, and they've actually both now in championship. Uh, in terms of experience, they've both played sixty-plus matches, so. And they should be go entering their peak years. So for me, I don't think we can cut them slack anymore for the the argument that the young goalkeepers they are maybe in terms of goalkeeping and that they could go on for another decade or more. But really, at their ages, they should be regular first team players. Okay, fair dues. It'll it'll be uh, it will be interesting come Saturday, seeing what that selection is and and what direction Tony Pulis chooses to. Um to go in um sorry dominic what were you what were you gonna say oh no no sorry sorry i was just gonna say for for me it's not when when i say young it's more in the sense of the stop stop start approach to their careers more than uh, more, more than like age as a number it's that they've come in they've done two three games here then they've been dropped and new managers come in bullens brought westward back and things like that yeah, it wasn't aimed at you. It's just generally you see on social media and around that people, I still feel like it's too easy because of how close they are in ages and everything. And that, um, that you know, we, we say that, that they're, you know, the young goalkeepers and I just don't, I don't think we can class them as young goalkeepers really anymore. They've been on the scene now for a few years and they should have really established themselves one of them should have done as the number one by now that's what we would have all hoped 
and then we wouldn't be still having the sort of the Kieran Westwood in and out debate at all, would we? Okay, so um, our other topic that we are uh, focusing on um, in in this week's episode is ours together. So this is our virtual match day. I say our virtual match day. Really, it's your virtual match day. We're um, encouraging all Wednesday fans to kind of have a think about what they would normally do on a match day, and um, you know just try and catch up with some of their friends, try and catch up with their family, try and, you know, do as, as much as they can, like a bit of a, um, you know, a, a normal approach to a match day. So the, the stuff, you know, the people that you normally meet for, for a drink or that you'd normally sit next to or whoever it is, just, you know, try and catch up with a few people, um, on next Saturday, the 28th, which is when Wednesday are playing Stoke. And this really is linked to, um, it's linked to mental health. It's linked to the fact that we are currently in the second lockdown. It, it It's going to end uh, early December, but, you know, what extent it's going to end to is a different matter. And you know, it looks like we've got, you know, a hard few weeks and possibly months ahead, particularly here in, in South Yorkshire. So, you know, really just trying to do something that gives a little bit of normality and gives us all something to look forward to and a reminder of how important it is to kind of chat to our family and friends. Um, Dominic, um, obviously the reason why uh, we were so keen to involve you in the, in the show this week is um, with regards to the book that, that you've written, because, you know, there's, there's some, you know, real kind of crossover and some relevance to this issue that we're talking about in terms of, of mental health, in terms of football as well. So I know you kind of told us a little bit about it um, earlier on, but but just go a little bit deeper if you would do and just tell us a bit about the the, the book that, that you've got coming out very soon. So uh, the, the book's called Get Your Head in the Game. And it sort of came about, oddly, that we've just been talking about goalkeepers, that when I was at the Sheffield Derby, um, Dawson saved a penalty and when we were going through a very rough rough patch and um, he saved a penalty in what I, I think was probably one of his first games and all of a sudden he was a club legend. Everyone wanted um, to sort of shout and cheer him and then I, th- I think a few minutes later he sort of spooned it out for a throw-in and all of a sudden the way people were talking about him was like it just gone and punched their gran in the face and and it it just sort of made me think how how can people go from sort of love to hate that quickly and is it actually good for you and that sort of over the months that followed got me thinking about mental health and the impact of mental health on the football community and in particular because football was historically always been sort of a working class game and a predominantly male supported game and and just thought it, it's got to provide a more positive outlet than than it does and so i wanted to explore that further and that's sort of where the book came from so who um who kind of features in the book then uh, so from Wednesday, I have Sam Hutchinson and um, John Harks and Atiyad Nahui. Um, and then so that throughout the book, I talk about my, my life as a player, as a coach, as a fan, and how going to see Wednesday sort of influenced my life. And, and the book starts with um, 
sort of a comment from my dad about my first ever game, which was Wednesday Aldershot shot in 1989. And from what he remembers, it was none too impressive. But I I just think I was probably just pleased to be there. Um, And then beyond that, there's play. Oh, sorry, there's Chris Kirkland, who obviously played for Wednesday. And then beyond that, there's people like Kelly Lindsay, who was the... uh, she, well, she's working as director of football in Morocco now, and she was the manager of the Afghanistan women's national team. Uh, people like Ella Maysar, who uh, played all across Europe and in America. David Cox, a gentleman from um, uh, Scotland who played for Cowden and Beath. Um, and then former Gary Monk lookalike, Nick Cox, who's the academy manager of... Uh, uh, so he was the academy manager at Sheffield United and now is at Manchester United. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's people like that because I, I really wanted to get a cross-section of the game to see the impact of mental health at different points because I think too often we look at it in isolation. We think about ourselves, we think about the people we know, the people we love, but I wanted to think bigger because three-quarters of a million people on a normal week go to watch football live. And if we can turn that into a force for good, then you've got, do you know what I mean, the greatest army of do-gooders in the world. Yeah. When did you start Absolutely. working on the book, Dominic? Um, so I started, I pitched it. I, I was going to uh, Boston on holiday in October of last year. And... I just so got to get something down. And so I started looking around about how, because I had not written nonfiction before. So I started looking around and everyone said, you needed a few sample chapters. And so I thought, oh crap, I'm going on holiday in two weeks. What do I do? So I started writing these sample chapters and then um, I sort of sent them off while I was on holiday. And then when I came back, I got sort of some like, can we have a bit more? Um, and so I then, yeah, sent them a bit more, a bit of a plan if I wanted to talk to. And obviously, I slightly over-egged it with how connected I was in the world of football. Um, and so a big thank you to Joe Braithwaite at the at Sheffield Wednesday, actually, for helping me be as connected as I claimed I was. Um, and then, yeah, it was on. It was actually uh, on the anniversary of the death of Gary Speed that signed the contract to the book. So sort of this time last year and then I started writing it in January, February and then COVID hit. So I had to re, I I planned to travel about and go and meet everyone and talk to them. But obviously I I then couldn't travel. So um, Skype and phone calls came in very useful. How did you find the, uh, the Wednesday, former Wednesday players that you spoke to? Oh, I mean, it was so, um, I mean, it, it was it felt very challenging because one one thing that I really believe is in in the love and the joy of football that I I follow football and I follow Wednesday because I really really enjoy it. I've always gone with my dad. I've always loved going. We go to my grandparents before the match, walk up to Hillsborough, um, and so it felt very surreal. Like I was. Um, uh, 34 at the time and and I was stood out like I got the early train I was stood outside the training ground with a book and my phone to take selfies with with uh, the players and I was getting autographs and it was 
a few days after uh, we played Brighton and uh, the lad who got um, who played his first match got um, like great plaudits in the press for his brilliant after-match speech. Um, he was there and, and I sort of went up to him and was like, please, may I have your autograph? And um, and I sort of then was thinking about it afterwards. It's like, I'm old enough to be his dad. And yet I felt, I felt the same as I did when I was a kid and I met like Colton Palmer, David Hurst, Sheridan. Like I felt that same buzz. And so when I went in to meet Hutchinson and Nahuu, so Hutchinson and Nahui, I um, I was in awe of them, but they were both sort of so gentle, down to earth, and considered. And what really impressed me with both of them, they'd taken the time to sort of look into me, find out who I was, and they sort of both. I, I expected to go there and sort of be a bit shaking, get some like quite generic answers, but they both really opened up they shared a lot about themselves and it was i mean and, and particularly with hutchinson because he's very well documented with his uh issues around mental health he was extremely open and i was going through a period of uh poor mental health at the time and it just really it, it just got to me and at one point he uh turned around and said i'm never going to be able to play for wednesday again I want to more than anything, but I'm not going to be able to um, sort of referring to being frozen out by Monk. And it was kind of, we we all hear these rumors about arguments, about things like that, that, but you don't understand how cut and dry it can be. And, and it was very emotional. We both sort of welled up looking at each other and it was quite a, a thing. And then, then afterwards I sort of, um, thanked him and I was about to leave and he was like, wait there, wait there. And he ran through to a changing room and got me a shirt of his and, and, and gave it to me. And I sort of, we, we stood there, sort of tears going down my cheeks. So it was so emotional and lovely just to meet him. And, um, and he was extremely kind, generous. And with, with both of them, like, I know that both of their performances can be a bit sort of people will often debate the quality of the players, but as people and as fans of the club and as ambassadors for the club, you couldn't, you could walk to the end of the world and not find two people who cared more about Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in, in reading the stuff that, that Sammy Hutchinson had to say. Cause I think that, you know, we've, we, we've, I mean, we've talked about him on, on this podcast a couple of times actually and, um, touching on the fact of that, you know, he is such an honest guy. You know, he is heart on the sleeve. I mean, sometimes from a football point of view, he can be too honest and, and actually end up kind of getting himself in, in, in trouble. But, you know, I think that what, what the honesty that he talks about his own, issues and battles with mental health can only be a force for good because it's getting things out on the table and talking about stuff that previously traditionally particularly men it's got to be said will 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 not talk about and will keep stored up and you know the the, the what, what what we're talking about in terms of the the virtual match day is just about you know a, a, another way of trying to get uh encourage fans to kind of talk a bit about how they are because we're going through something that is 
uh, was never meant to happen. You know, we're going through something that none of us have ever really kind of been through before in terms of what's happened in 2020 and coronavirus and lockdown. And, you know, it, it, we said it last week, it, it's all right not to be all right with the stuff that's going on. And we've all got to keep talking and we've got to help each other. And we've got to help our friends and our friends have got to help us. And, you know, we've got to be there for our family and, and, and stuff like that. Um, Dominic, um, in terms of the book and its availability, how can people get hold of it? Uh, so it's available in all good bookshops uh in all online retailers um if you just search get your head in the game or dominic stevenson online um there is another dominic stevenson who's a writer but i promise you i didn't spend the mid 90s in a jail in shanghai for drug dealing uh so it's the other book by by dominic stevenson and sorry just on the the point about talking i think the way people and professionals and public campaigns talk about talking and and it's a good thing i think sometimes people put so much emphasis on it that they expect that 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 people think people want you to sit there and talk about everything you've ever felt in your whole life but the brilliant thing about the the match day the virtual away day with other fans that's going to happen is it's just about chatting it's just about listening and talking and if you ask someone how they are listen to them that's all that's all i can ask and that's the whole message of the book for me is that just listen open up be a bit open-minded about the people around you Brilliant. Amen to that. Totally agree. Um, all right, let's find out a bit about one of the um, charities that were um, trying to help with the virtual uh, match day. And let's find out more about Sheffield Flourish. So I'm Josie Souter. I'm the managing director of Sheffield Flourish. Um, thank you for your time today, um, Josie. Very obvious first question. Sheffield Flourish, for anyone who hasn't heard of it or isn't aware of it, just tell us a little bit about you. Well, firstly, thanks so much for inviting me on. I think it's brilliant to be able to speak to a different audience about mental health. We are a local voluntary sector charity focused on mental health, particularly in Sheffield. We tend to, we're not a therapy organisation in the traditional sense, so we don't provide counselling. But what we try and aim to do is build people up as assets Um, so thinking about people living with mental health often they can feel stigmatized they can feel kind of locked away social isolation that they're not giving anything to society and that's really where flourish comes in so we want people to be more than their mental health problem and to lead a life that's flourishing really regardless of their mental health condition so we do that in two ways Um, Firstly, we concentrate on digital tools and resources that can help people to manage their mental health or find places where they can get support for their mental health. And then we have a number of kind of face-to-face community projects, uh, one of them focusing on football. Uh, that was going to be what I asked you about next, because um, you know I'm I'm aware that that you do work that's specifically related to uh, football. I'm guessing most of our audience probably isn't aware of it. So um, yeah, just tell us a little bit more about that then, and the, and the work that you do that is related to the sport. So Brunsmere Awareness, which is what our football team's called. Uh, It grew out of Sheffield Health and Social Care NHS Trust. So that's the NHS Trust in Sheffield that 
provides clinical support for people with mental health problems. So there's a lot of people on the mental health wards, or if you hear about people who have been, say, sectioned under the Mental Health Act, that's through that NHS trust. Um, we realised that that kind of transition from a mental health ward into the community is quite a difficult period for people, and particularly men. You know, a lot of the mental health wards are made up of men. Um, and we were looking at ways of engaging people that would feel less kind of focused on mental health, but would provide uh, an opportunity to connect with others, to think about their well-being in a different way, but through an element that's quite fun, I think. And team sports really offers that. It's Brunsmere Awareness because we sit under Brunsmere Football Club, which is a local team in Sheffield. We've got both a male and female uh, team. The female team started literally at the start of lockdown, but um, as uh, as we've opened up various times during this year, we've been able to kind of re-engage and go out and get some training in. Um, Unfortunately, I'm saying unfortunately because I'm conscious of what podcast I'm on. Uh, we also work in partnership with Sheffield United's community teams. Um, so they provide uh, coaching staff, which means there's some kind of structure to the sessions rather than just turn up and play. Uh, but I think it's really important football as for us certainly as that as a different way of being able to engage people and and I suppose get them out doing something fun. I mean, it's, it's it's not traditionally something that you would necessarily associate with um, mental health, and I mean that in the terms of uh, of you know you don't you don't really think about football fans kind of you know getting together before a game and you know asking each other how they are and kind of you know talking about each other's mental health and and, and stuff like that. But it does feel like it's it's an area that. There seems to have been a change in in the last few um, the last few years, and it's become something that's much less kind of stigmatised. Obviously, along comes coronavirus. What what's been the impact um, for for you in terms of a charity, and, and in terms of you know the people that, that that you're seeing and that you're talking to um, because of you know what's happened since kind of February March time. Well, you know, there's a number of things going on in that question. Uh, I, I suppose, firstly, you're talking about a group of people who often feel quite socially isolated. And I totally agree. I think times are getting better in, in the stigma attached to mental health, but we've still got quite a long way to go, particularly, I think, in terms of masculinity and, and you know, men feeling able to kind of open up and talk about these things. So, lockdown brought social isolation to a group who are already socially isolated uh, and I think that wasn't just things like flourish closing a lot of their support mechanisms a lot of other good services in the city that kind of provide that wraparound support had to close um, and although digital is an amazing way of being able to engage not everyone has the capacity or capability to be able to go on zoom calls and uh, uh, and you know try and catch up with people in different ways so it it's been a really, really difficult time. Uh, I, I think also it's interesting this time around feels slightly different. We've got a sense that we've been here before and it didn't work. So, you know, lockdown at the start of the year, there was a little bit of that kind of British spirit and and, and people kind of running on adrenaline. Whereas I think this time around people feel more fed up. 
winter months are coming in um you know the days are a lot shorter and inevitably we're starting to look to the future and try and um speculate i guess on, on what's going to happen so it it feels very different um i think for the people we work with that's challenging in a number of ways we've been calling people who can't access um digital resources we were even letter would exchanging letters with one person who doesn't like phones or the internet um we in during the summer we were delivering seeds uh, when some of the restrictions opened although we couldn't go and play football at we uh, um our normal pitches we'd you know meet up in the park and uh, and just have a kick about instead of encouraging any tackling so we're still keeping that distance but it certainly is it's a really really tricky time obviously what what we're trying to um get going is is this very kind of loose concept of owls together for the 28th of of november which is um it's not it's not particularly us organizing anything really but it's saying to people take that time to stop and think who would I normally be talking to on a match day are they all right am I all right do I need to chat to a friend and 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 just you know taking that time however people do it whether it's online over the phone they want to send each other a letter in advance you know it's really open to 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 anyone um you know that 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 kind of stuff that that maybe gets forgotten a little bit about, you know, the social aspects of of, of football um, and 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 what it means for fans, you know, getting together on match day and just kind of chatting and stuff like that, and the fact that obviously that's that's not happening at the moment and hasn't happened for a long time and doesn't look like it's going to be happening anytime soon. That stuff's really important, isn't it? And 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 you know, just that that sort of nudge to to, to get people to say, look, just spend, just take a bit of time out, chat to your friends, chat to your family, just make sure everyone is all right is is dead significant yeah i think one of the wonderful things about sport and team sport and and i'm a massive football fan so you know certainly attached to football is that sense of a collective identity of you know we're in this together we're behind our team we're look out for each other uh, and that transcends what's happening on the pitch you know like you said you, you you might meet with your friends in the pub beforehand or after and and although the focus of the conversation often isn't you know and how is your mental health inevitably the there are conversations happening that help people with their mental health and well-being, that help people process things, that help people um, feel that kind of connection and check in, as you've just said, you know, particularly I think for for men, um, not because I think, you know, football's totally associated with men nowadays, but, uh, you know, Male suicide rates are significantly high. It's the biggest killer for, you know, men under the age of 45. And, and I guess part of that is we've had this historic concept of what a man is and, and, and how masculinity is. And, and I think things like social aspects to sport, football, whatever it is, provide a little bit of a diluted way of being able to have those conversations to so take the pressure off. Um, but be able to check in with each other, and I guess my advice would be for people: if you know, if you if you played in a football team or you went regularly on a Saturday to match day, is to still think about and prioritise activities and people and places that support your well-being, and be conscious of that. Um, don't just kind of think, well, football's not on, so I won't get in touch with 
so-and-so, you know, still try and make the effort because it can be massively important and the difference uh, can make a huge difference for someone if they're struggling. And and just finally, I mean, obviously we're we're trying to raise a little bit of money through through what we're doing. How are things for you as a charity? You know, what help do you need from 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 people and from you know the Sheffield community as a whole? I mean, funding is the bane of certainly my life as the managing director. You know, there are so many good things we would like to do, but it's within the restraints of, of resources. Um, you know, uh, any support is always really appreciated. I guess one of the battles we've got at the minute is that every week it feels we're having to adapt our services to whatever the latest government guidance is, whether that's, you know, going digital one week and then the next week we're in tier two and we can bring some services back and then all of a sudden we're in tier three again and that takes up a lot of time and resources uh but i guess you know in terms of support from you guys it'd be really good to if you can raise anything that we'll spend it on brunsmere football you know that's kit that's um, you know, being able to hire pitches, uh, people being able to, when we're allowed, transport them to games, you know, that all costs us money because we're working with people where resources are minimum. So anything that can be raised, I think we, we'd like to spend on Brunsmere. Brill. Um, Josie, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. You know, I love the work that, that you're doing. It's so important. And, you know, that the making that connection between mental health and, and, and football, I think is such a such a positive thing to, to do. So, um, yeah, the very best of luck for, for the future. Thanks very much. And we're all Wednesday, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant to talk to um, Josie and Sheffield Flourish is a fantastic organisation. I have to be quite honest, I didn't really know much about them until getting in touch with them and finding out um, uh, more through through this process. And in fact, Dominic, it was you that put me um, in touch with them, which I'm really grateful um, for, and, and, and you that kind of put me on their on their trail. Um, and brilliant that you know we've got an organisation there that is making that connection between football. And the force for good that it can be from a mental health point of view, which is kind of what you were saying earlier on about that huge number of people that week in, week out in normal times are going to football and the power that this sport has from, you know, from an emotional point of view, like it, it has such a massive, massive um, power for us. And you know, I, I think the work that they're doing is brilliant. So thank you very much for, um, for, for putting us onto them. Of course. And I think football, all, all you've got to do is look across the world to see, uh, teams like Hernevenen in Holland, who recently their fans put a couple of thousand teddy bears in the in the stadium um, at, at one of their matches, and then auctioned them off for a children's cancer centre to see the amazing impact the football community can have. And I think for years, football fans have been vilified in the press by politicians, by police, and I think that I've never been to a football match and come away with ill feeling i love talking about football and i believe that football fans love talking about football and that's what i want i don't want the negativity i want the the game to be used for good as it should be 
we know it's it's a hard time for a lot of people right now from a financial point of view. We are trying to raise a little bit of money for a couple of brilliant causes, so Sheffield Flourish that we've just been finding out about. Sheffield Mind is an organisation that I think most people are probably aware of and, and know about. Um, so we've we've got our um, Virgin um, fundraising page. So you know, if if anyone does want to throw a few quid in, it will go to a good cause. It will be split between those two organisations and will be used for some fantastic projects that they're both involved with if you check in the show notes there is a link to um that page and you will see all over our social media over the next week as we build up towards um the uh, virtual match day on um next saturday which is coming around very um quickly we'll obviously talk about it more on next week's podcast kind of between then and now we have got a couple of football matches we've got Preston away and we've got Swansea um away to come Dom I mean in terms of kind of um uh, the phrase baptism of fire is is thrown about quite a lot isn't it within kind of media circles but Tony Pulis is certainly not getting an easy start here is he uh, no especially when you factor in Wednesday's lousy record uh Preston down the years uh, but then again, um, it's a good time, you would say, to be going to Preston, who've uh, not <laughs> picked up a single point at home. They've lost five out of five. Um, so it's nailed on now, isn't it? It's going to be Preston who wins. Uh, it's the Wednesday way, isn't it? That uh, How many times have we seen it over the last 18 months where we think, oh, you know, Wednesday about to play a team in bad form. And then who do you want to play? It's Sheffield Wednesday, isn't it? So I'd like to think we're going to see a reaction from the team. Um, I, it's, it's, I actually think it's really important that Wednesday takes something from it. I know that you'll get the cliche of uh, manager bounce, they need to hit the ground running and all that. But when you seriously look at the fixtures that they've got coming up, um, I, I really think that they could do with getting at least a point at Preston. It's so tough. With Swansea, Stoke, Reading at home. Um and then I, I think it's Huddersfield and Barnsley to come in December. But the squad's going to be important, as I mentioned before. Uh, there will be some rotation. There's going to have to be. Everyone's going to be needed. Um, another reason why I think not a bad shout at all to bring Kieran Westwood back in. If you believe he's your best goalkeeper and is going to win your points, then you play him as far as I'm concerned in the situation that Wednesday are in. But... Yeah, hopefully they can make a winning start at, at Preston, but they've got good players at Preston. The 14th at the minute in the table, they should be a lot higher than that. And uh, Alex Neal, I think they've got you know, one of the best managers, I think, outside the Premier League. I think he's done a top job um, wherever he's been. He's, you know, he's a really good operator, is Alex Neal. Um, so Wednesday can't take them lightly. Um, and then Swansea, they've made a good start too. So it doesn't get any easy easier there really and uh, you know AU's been doing very well for them banging the goals in so he's going to be a big threat next week but yeah from two away matches I think I'd definitely take a you know I'd definitely take a win if they got three points anything more than that it'd be fantastic no, I mean, six points, six points, easy. We've got this one, we've got it. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm, I am looking forward to two o'clock on Saturday and seeing, you know, what it's kind of always fascinating to see what a new manager is um, is uh, is going to do. So, um, yeah, we will see. Brill, right. Um, Dominic, thank you very much for um, joining us. If anyone wants to find out more about the book or connect with you or, or anything like that, what's the best way of people doing that? 
Uh, so I'm on Twitter at HatscarfShirt. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the best place to get me. I'm working from home, so my phone's always next to me. So chances are I'll always reply. And can I just say, obviously, thank you very much for having me. And a um, uh, shout-out to Dom here and Alex and Joe and Nancy, who during, as has been mentioned, uh, both of these lockdowns, have provided phenomenal community-based Sheffield Wednesday content for fans and gone absolutely above and beyond all of them to do amazing things. And I've had difficult times these last few months and just having that to read that outlet of something I love has been phenomenal and helped me a lot, and I'm, as I'm sure it has many other people. Thank you very much, Dominic, for your kind words. You're too, too kind. <laughs> Brilliant. You can catch Dom at Dom Housen. I'm at James Marriott, or you can contact the show at Dom and James. Big thank you to our goal partners, Title Law Solicitors, who you can find at titlelaw.co.uk. And Wednesday Bet, of course, back in play this weekend with £1,000 available to win. Um, download the app now if you don't already have it. Thank you for joining us. If you like Singing the Blues, please rate and review the show in your podcast app. Up the owls and see you next week. 